So Lord, as we, as we come to your word this afternoon, Father, we, we want to approach it knowing that this isn't just some other book written by human hands that we're reading. This is the word of God given to your church to sustain us, to grow us, to develop us into the very image of Christ. And so, Lord, we want to be solemn as we open up the scriptures today and we learn about the subject of money and finances and giving. Lord, we want to understand what you have to say about this because the world has much to say on this area. But Lord, we, we don't want to be mindful of that. We want to be mindful of what you have spoken. And we want to be influenced by the word of God in this area of our lives. So we pray right now you would open our hearts and our minds to understand this message. I pray, Lord God, for myself that I wouldn't get in the way of what you're trying to say to your people today. But would put forward your word as it is without coloring. So yeah, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today's sermon is going to be slightly different to normal, just in that we're going to be jumping around a little bit all through Scripture, rather than focusing on one Scripture in particular. And our consideration today, as I've mentioned, is, is money. Now, I don't speak very often on this subject, but I do try once a year to address it. I think it's important. And so as we're finishing up this tax year, the end of March, I figured that today would be as good a day as any to look at this subject together. And I'd encourage you, if you aren't here today and you're watching on the live stream, please do share this with others if you feel led. And for those who aren't here today, it's a good thing to watch back. Now, as a pastor... As an under-shepherd, that's what I am, in Jesus Christ's church. We always like to say that. It isn't my church. It isn't Graham's church. It's Jesus' church. My job is very particular. My job is simply to teach God's word. It's not my job to teach my vision. It's not my job to teach the five pillars of Philip's philosophy. It's not my job to teach the world's philosophy. It's my job simply to represent God's word to his children. And so scripture, which is God's word, actually has a lot to say on the subject of money. It has a lot to say. And it's something that Jesus never shied away from dealing with in his ministry. Neither did the apostles. And therefore, because my job is to represent his word and not my own, I can't shy away from dealing with the subject either, even if I risk upsetting some people. I must preach what the Word of God has to say. You see, brothers and sisters, a great disservice is done to the church when ministers refuse to speak about money. And that certainly is the experience of many of us growing up. We perhaps went to churches where giving was never properly addressed. It was uh, something that we were unfamiliar with. However, an equally great disservice is done to the church when it's all that ministers ever speak about. Many of us have been on both ends of this. We've been on both extremes. Like I said, if you've grown up in a church where nothing was ever taught about giving from the scriptures, all you knew about giving was that once every week on a Sunday, there's some moth-eaten offering basket was passed down the aisle with a few crusty coppers in there. And so when you actually hear a Christian minister speak about money, 
you're confused or maybe you feel this is inappropriate, this is my money, why are you speaking about my money? It might make you feel uneasy. However, if you have been in a church where you're told things like, God won't release your blessing unless you give a double portion today, then equally it's likely that when the minister stands up to talk about money, you feel uneasy. Now, this is one area, isn't it? The subject of money. It's one area where I think, and I'm sure you can appreciate too, that the devil has really had a field day amongst the church of Jesus Christ, sadly. And there's a true biblical teaching on money that has been so abused, has been so misrepresented, that many of us, I think, miss out on the beauty and the fruitfulness of what the Bible has to say about our finances. Because when we think about what abuse is, and I'm I'm going to take a moment just to talk about the subject of spiritual abuse, not fully, but certainly in this area of money. What abuse is, is, is when something good is misused. That's what abuse is, when something that is good is misused and abused. It gets twisted, used for something that it shouldn't be used for. And what happens often is when we experience abuse in a particular area, that, that area of our lives becomes tainted. We struggle to engage in that area of our life because that area has been mistreated and misused and it creates a sense of mistrust and unease in us. And one thing that all spiritual abusers, all false teachers, all cultists have in common is that all of them misrepresent and abuse the true biblical teaching on money and giving. All of them do it. From Jim James' cult right through to modern-day prosperity preachers, all of them abuse this teaching on money for their own gain. And so what was meant to be good, what was meant to be a blessing to the church has become tainted for so many of us. And so what happens is if we've been in a church where money's all that ever gets spoken about and come on, give to get your blessing, give, 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 we need more money, guess what? The pendulum can so easily swing to the other side where we never want to have anyone talk about our money again. Equally, if we've only ever been in a church where it's never spoken about, we're surprised and shocked when somebody actually does talk about money. So I believe that this topic, this subject of finance, is one that we as Christians must redeem. We've got to redeem the true biblical teaching on money, giving, and finances. We can't let the misdeeds of a few keep us from the blessing of understanding what God really has to say about money. So today, as we consider finances, we're going to see the following five things. We're going to see, number one, that God is sovereign. Again, we hear that word. God is sovereign over every penny that you have and every penny that you ever will have. Secondly, we're going to see that how we use our money is actually a really good indicator of where our heart's really at. Thirdly, We're going to see that for the Christian, giving isn't an obligation, but rather is the outflow of God's saving grace at work within us. Fourthly, we'll see that no matter how much money you have, whether it's a great amount or a really small amount, you can be a generous giver. You can be a generous giver, even if you're experiencing really hard times, as many of us are at the moment. 
Fifthly, we're going to see this, that according to Scripture, God always takes care of the needs of those who give and keep giving. That's a wonderful message that I hope will come across strongly today. It's one that's been abused, but it's one that we must redeem. The promise of Scripture is that all who give generously and keep giving, God will take care of. So first off, when we tackle a massive subject like this on a Sunday afternoon, we don't have a wealth of time. I can't cover everything comprehensively, but I do want to get the right building blocks in the right places, okay? So we've got to put the big, you know that game where you kind of try and fit loads of stones into a jar and there's only one way you can do it, isn't it? You've got to put the big stones in first. Otherwise, you won't be able to get them in later if you start with the small material and work to the big. So when we're tackling this subject of giving, I want to get the big pieces in first so that we can fit it all in there and for it to make sense to us. So let's start with the most important matters. The first thing, brothers and sisters, that we have to understand in all of this is that your money really isn't your money. It really isn't your money. Psalm 24.1, and we're going to jump around through the scriptures today, so don't worry about turning there. But Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Haggai 2 verse 8 says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And in 1 Chronicles 29, where David is giving an offering, we read this from verses 10 through 16. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, O Lord, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But listen to this. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance and all we have provided for building you a holy temple comes from your hand. All of it belongs to you. What's David saying? He's saying, listen, God, I'm going to give you everything I've got, but guess what? All of it's yours anyway. I'm only giving you what already belongs to you. Did you ever think about giving that way? That whenever you give, you're just giving God what was already his anyway. Isn't that incredible? It's like when you're a kid, you're growing up, and it's Christmas time. You're getting ready to give gifts, and you spend your own parents' money (laughs) to buy them presents. It's that kind of a deal. All that we have, all that we ever will have is not truly our own. Ultimately, it belongs to God. And we're stewards of the money that God's entrusted to us. We're not truly the owners of it. We are stewards of it. All of our wealth, all honor that we get in this life, it comes from him. When we give, 
we're really only giving God what belongs to him anyway. Does that change the way that we view our finances? When we think, do you know what? It's not really my money. It isn't my money. It's God's. Secondly, I want for us to see this. We talk about this a lot in church, and it's because it's one of the most hated doctrines in the world, and therefore I'm going to preach it loudly until you rejoice in it. God is sovereign over your finances. God is sovereign over your finances. Say amen. God is sovereign over my finances. I'm going to start a business where I put unpopular Bible verses on merchandise and sell it. Listen to this. 1 Samuel 2 verse 7. The Lord sends poverty. Hallelujah. Can't you rejoice in it? You can't rejoice in that, can you? But it's what the Bible says. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. You ever think of that? What the Bible says. What does it mean? It means that God is sovereign over everything. I'll unpack it more in a moment, but, but listen to this. Job. Do you ever read the book of Job and say, thank you, God? <laughs> Do you know, sometimes there's just seasons in life where Job comes alive to you. There's other seasons of life when you don't want to visit it. But listen, Job 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord gives, but listen, the Lord takes away. God is sovereign over your finances. You have exactly the amount in your accounts right now that the Lord ordained before the world was founded that you should have in your accounts today. Praise the Lord. I remember a church that took the bridge out of that famous song where it says, you give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. There was a church that took that out because they didn't like it. Oh, we can't sing that. The Lord never takes away. He only gives. Well, unfortunately, it's what your Bible says. The Lord does give and the Lord does take away. He's sovereign over all. God distributes wealth according to his own sovereign purposes. You might not like it, but it's how it works. If anyone is rich, it's because God ordained that they should have wealth at that particular point in their lives. Even the wicked. They have no cause for boasting. That's what that means. So when you see somebody rich standing up, and teaching everyone how they did it, and aren't they great that they manage their budget so well, and they did. Okay, listen, but even that wisdom to manage their budget and to get wealth was given to them by God. Even sinners. Even sinners. God has his sovereign purposes. The Bible actually talks about what happens to the wicked's wealth when they store it up on earth. Guess what? When the wicked store up wealth, and they think they're going to build their own empires and do all of this in their heart, they pass away and God takes it and he gives it to the poor. God has sovereign purposes even in the wealth of the wicked. He distributes it according to his sovereign decree that we don't know about. We're short-sighted. We've got little pygmy brains. We can't always understand these things, but it's what the Bible says. Secondly, this. Just as the rich have no cause for boasting, we can know that when we experience seasons of difficulty, seasons where... Money's hard to come by. Where we're experiencing what we might call a level of poverty, but the Bible does say that we'll never see the righteous begging for bread. 
But listen, even in seasons of difficulty, we can know that God has his purposes even in difficult times financially. He's even sovereign over those times. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It's he who gives power. Whenever we earn money, whenever we're in times of plenty, it's because God gave you the power to get that wealth. Daniel 4 verse 35, a classic verse that we've heard many times in the last year. King Nebuchadnezzar, the great heathen king, he declares this, All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does all that he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? We read in Romans 9 as well, don't we, of a similar thing. God is sovereign over all that happens in this world, including our money. Scripture definitely does teach that it isn't wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have wealth. Like I say, the Bible teaches God enables us to actually have that in the first place. And being wealthy is a massive blessing, isn't it? Having plenty is a blessing. And in this nation, we do, comparatively speaking, have a great deal of wealth. And when God blesses us with wealth, it's an opportunity to co-labor with him in using that wealth to accomplish all of God's purposes, to advance his kingdom. Proverbs 11, 10 and 11 says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Proverbs 11, 11 says, Through the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it's destroyed. Every successful Christian missionary, we think of Amy Carmichael, who went out to India and won so many to the Lord. And in more recent days, we think of another amazing woman of God, Jackie Pullinger, who went out to Hong Kong. We see God doing so many amazing things. None of that would have been possible were it not for brothers and sisters in Christ whose wealth was available to their master. Without those people, without those givers, we don't see the Lord moving. Whenever God has a purpose, he makes sure that certain Christians open their wallets to give. And that is a blessing. It's not wrong to have money. It's a mighty blessing that comes with great responsibility. As we know from that film, Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. So God tells us that there's no inherent problem with wealth, with having money. Though, having lots of money, it comes with challenges. Challenges that we don't experience when we have little Matthew 19, verse 24, Jesus says, Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The problem the problem's not money, brothers and sisters. The problem's not that you have lots of money. The problem is whether you love the money that you have. The problem's the love of money. And when we look out at the world today, what we see seems to me anyway, is an ever-increasing infatuation with money. I look on social media, and what do I see? Influencers trying desperately to earn more money, to be more powerful, to be more influential, to have a more comfortable life. There's this craving that's out there in the world for riches. The whole world wants to be rich, and they want everyone to know about it. 
Look at my success. Look how well I'm doing. But the Bible warns us against this. The Bible's absolutely countercultural when it comes to money. And so if ever you're in a church and the pastor never shuts up about money, guess what? You're in a worldly church. You're in a worldly church because the Bible teaches ministers, especially elders, should not be what? Should not be lovers of money. Should not be lovers of money. So if you're in a church where every week it's, come on, we're going to give, we're going to, and the, the pastor's riding around in a four by four with blacked out windows, guess what? You are not in a biblical church. I don't care what the pastor says. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 and 10 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We watch the lives of wealthy people, don't we? We observe them on Netflix. We observe them on Amazon Prime and on social media. And we always look at these people. And there's an element of us that just thinks, you know, if I had more money, I'd just be more happy. Life would be so much easier if I could fly off to the Caribbean twice a year. I'd be more happy. I'd be less sad. But is that actually true? Is it true that if we had a bit more money, we'd be a lot happier? Let's look, shall we? Let's see what God has to say on this. Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Oh, the wisdom of God. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. How often have you found this to be true? Experientially, I know this to be true. I've had friends who've had extraordinary wealth, owning multi-million pound houses in West London, and still, they never felt they had enough money. It's true. Sadly, brothers and sisters, more money won't make you happier. Ecclesiastes says, this too is vanity, is meaningless to earn money for the sake of earning money. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. Suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Chasing riches, chasing wealth is a fool's errand. The Bible calls the pursuit of sorry, the pursuit of riches vanity. It calls it meaningless. Don't waste your life pursuing a bigger paycheck. It will never deliver the peace of mind that you crave. Proverbs fifteen sixteen says, "Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it." Hallelujah. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great trouble with lots of money. You know, money reveals our hearts. Money reveals our hearts. Matthew 6, Jesus says in verse 19 to 21, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moss, moth sorry, nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brothers and sisters, are we laying up for ourselves treasures here on the earth? Are we holding back on giving because we want to make sure that we have enough saved for that holiday, for that extension, for that new car? All these things, however good they might be on the surface, all these things will eventually be destroyed. There'll be nothing. But the good works that we do for God, they are the things that will endure forever. I've settled it in my heart that I'll never be a big earner. It's what God has called me to. And I'm okay with that. I know that others in this church have been called by God to go and be wealthy. And I'm okay with that. For each person in the body of Christ, God has appointed a particular station, a particular responsibility. And we have to be okay with that. We sing praise to God, whether we have little or whether we have much. We know that he has a purpose in all. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 to 15 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that Christ, sorry, other than the one's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Sorry, I lost my place there. Find it again. Yeah, shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. If what is built su- survives, the builder will receive a, wo- a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will still be saved. So evaluating our giving is a really great way to see actually what's going on in our hearts. What we do with our money, and especially how we think about giving... It reveals what we really care about. So we can say, God, you're the king of my heart. You're the center of my life. But when actually we look at our balance sheet, we look at our income and our outgoings, is that what is the truth? Does does our bank balance and our giving reveal it to be true that that God really is the center of our lives? It's, It's a really challenging question. And I know for many of us, we've had this area of our lives abused uh, by certain preachers you know we've had bad experiences there are certain pastors who will sit you down and ask what your income is and when they find out they'll figure out what you should be tithing and then they'll ask you why aren't you why aren't you doing it that's abuse that's a horrendous thing to do and so many of us because of that kind of abuse have become hardened in this area But it is a good thing to look at when we look at our finances and we ask the question, God, I want you to be the center of my heart and I want you to be in the midst of my finances too. I I don't want to hold what you've given me back from you and back from what you want to do. So there's an attitude that I used to have and I'll, I'll talk a bit about myself now because I think sometimes personal testimony helps in this area. I used to have an attitude when I was a student that it was this. It was, look, I'll give when I can. I will absolutely give when I'm able to. Right now, it's difficult for me because I'm a student. I don't have much, but I will give when I've got the opportunity. And I remember I used to go to a church in the center of Oxford, St. Aldate's, and beautiful church. But back in the years when I was a student, 
the front was a bit ramshackle, it was kind of falling apart. And I remember the rector, Charlie Cleverly, speaking one day, one evening rather, at the student service. We used to have a student service in the, in the evening. We were all there, rocking up with our jeans, with rips in, and our you know, Dunlop green flashes back in the day, and just kind of badly turned out rotters, you know, full of... And, and Charlie decided to speak about giving. He talked about the need to establish a nice gate and an entry point into the building. We're a city church. We're, attack, we're attracting people in through the doors. Alpha course is running every month. We want to be able to welcome people into the building. And he felt rather than go through the Central Church of England to acquire those funds, he was going to ask the church to sow into that and see it as a, a kind of corporate responsibility. And as soon as he started talking and said, when we talk about money tonight, I just thought, oh, I can switch off then. <laughs> I could switch off at this point because, do you know what? I'm a student. I don't really have any money. And they won't be really expecting me to give. You know, let, the, let the rich people, we're in Oxford, let the rich people give. You know, I'm a student. By the end of the sermon, brothers and sisters, I felt deeply challenged. I felt so challenged because I'd realized that perhaps my ability to give generously wasn't really being hindered by my kind of fiscal means, by what I had in the bank account, but it was actually kind of really being hindered by my heart. I'd got this block in my heart where I could afford to get a few beers with my mates on a Friday night, but I couldn't afford a tenner to give to the church on a Sunday. That's not about means, that's about my heart and what I was willing to do or what I was willing to prioritise. And I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that that minister decided to preach to a room full of poor students about giving. Not in a judgmental way, but giving us the opportunity to become generous givers, even though we didn't have an awful lot. And since then, I've never wanted to have that attitude of, I don't have enough to give. I've never wanted to have that again. Generosity is an area that I want to be consistently growing in, I want to be growing in that area year on year. I want to be open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and not to start with the excuse of, look, Lord, you know, you know the situation. I don't have enough to give. And my text proof for this really is, is the example of the, of the Christians in Macedonia, the Macedonian Christians. Have you ever come across that before? In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul brags on these Macedonian Christians and he's talking to the Corinthians about them and he wants to tell the Corinthians about the generosity that he's seeing in this church in Macedonia he says this in verses one to three and now brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity for I testify, they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely of their own free will. These Macedonian believers were poor. They were destitute. Paul says that they were living with extreme poverty, not just kind of like mid-level poverty, but deep poverty. In fact, the Greek word there to describe that extreme poverty was bathos, 
Bathos, like our deep bath, right? And it's a word that was used to describe the very depth of the ocean, the very floor of the ocean. These people were deeply, deeply poor. If you know anything about history, that the Romans had come into this area, into Macedonia, where King Alexander was from originally. They'd taken over their prosperous mining um, the prosperous mines, they were mining for silver, for gold, for copper. The Romans came in, they took all over the mines, they took over the ports, and then they employed the Macedonians to work in their own mines and their own ports for nothing. It was basically like slave labor. So they had nothing at all. They were very badly treated. But Paul says in the midst of their severe affliction, they actually overflowed with joy and generosity. So in the midst of this really difficult trial what happened when they got squeezed and that word that is thlipsis in the Greek and that means it's a word that was used to describe the crushing of grapes when they got crushed like grapes what poured out of them wasn't bitterness and oh god where are you there may have been some of that but ultimately what poured out of them was joy and generosity they gave what they were able to give they gave what they were able to give each person no matter how much they've got has an ability to give if these people could give, you have an ability to give. They gave what they were able and even beyond their ability. And Paul says they did it willingly. They didn't have to be compelled. They didn't have to get browbeaten by Paul. They did it. And they did it cheerfully. All Christian giving, brothers and sisters, is to be willing and to be cheerful. You know, in the Old Testament, you know how much they had to give? Under the law, they had to tithe. And yeah, that's like a 10% of their income they had to give. But in reality, when you combine all of the tithes that they were asked to give, all of the first fruits offerings, it was more like 20% of what they had, they had to give every year. That was part of the law. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. There's a blessing for generosity. Now, we're not under the law, are we? We're not under the old covenant. So you don't have to tithe. You don't have to give me as the church, not me, but you don't have to give the church 20% of your income. You're not obliged to give anything in the new covenant. We're under grace. And in that covenant of grace, we don't have the law written on stone tablets, but we have it written in our hearts. And that's where our generosity comes from. It's the overflow of a generous heart. We don't give because we have to, but rather because God works in our hearts so that we actually want to give. Now, I want to say this. If the covenant of grace that we live under, if it's true what the Bible says, that this new covenant is greater than the old covenant, why should their generosity outstrip ours? Why is it that Christian generosity in this day and age is so poor when compared with old covenant giving? Malachi 3 verse 8 and 10 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And you ask, how are you robbing? How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Then there might be enough food for everyone. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there'll not be enough room to store it. You know what? 
sometimes people have read that verse as though God was after their money. He wasn't after their money. He's after their heart. God's not after your money. But he is after your heart. It's just that sometimes money is the best barometer that we have of what we really care about. And I want you to see this. God promises that if they give, and they give generously, that he will pour out blessings upon them. Now, those blessings could be monetary. They could be a greater, deeper revelation of God's love for them. But we are promised in Scripture that when we give generously, God will bless. He will make sure that we're looked after. You know, I think sometimes, because we've heard these verses misrepresented, we can miss out on the deep truth of them. We don't want to despise what God is saying here. What he's saying is simply this. Don't worry. Don't worry that if you give, you won't have enough. He'll see to it that you've got enough and more. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And Proverbs 11.24 One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. We read the story in Chronicles of the King Amaziah hiring soldiers, don't we, from Israel. And he pays, um, I think it's a hundred talents of silver. He pays them in order to get these soldiers. And eventually God says, I don't want you to hire these soldiers. I want you to fight this battle on your own as Judah. And he loses the money. And Amaziah says to the prophet at the time, he says, what what should we do about the hundred talents that I've given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord's able to give you much more than this. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The Macedonian believers, they were giving out of their deep poverty to help other believers who were also in poverty, who they never even met. And they were doing it willingly and with great joy. I want us to think about that. They were giving to people who they never even met. They didn't need to know them. They didn't need to suss them out. Their hearts poured out to them in generosity. I want to be more like that in my giving to the poor. I want to be more liberal in my giving, just like these Macedonian believers. They had so little, but they were so strategic in the way that they gave. And and I think we see this, this, uh, their method of giving too, opened up to us by the scriptures. The Macedonian believers were able to give so generously because they were consistent and regular in their giving. They didn't wait till they had enough left over and then they gave that. We find that out because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, the end of the first book of Corinthians, he mentions this offering and he says to the Corinthian believers, concerning the collection for the saints, as it directed the churches of Galatia, I also now direct you, on the first day of every week, that is Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there'll be no collecting when I come. It's likely that the Macedonian believers did the same thing. Every week on a Sunday, they put something aside. Whatever it was, pennies, small amounts, they put it aside. And so they were giving consistently and regularly. They they had a plan, and they executed that plan to give. Brothers and sisters, we need to plan to give. It needs to be part of our budgeting. Giving has to be actually there when we decide where money's going. And not just giving winny-nilly when we feel we've got enough, but giving consistently out of what we earn each month.
Now, the final question is, listen, that's all well and good, but Graham, why should I give to the church? Isn't giving just to be to charity, to the poor? And I would say, amen. In the New Testament, churches gave to the poor. That's where our money needs to go as Christians, to the needs of those in the church and outside in our city. We give particularly for the needs of those who don't have enough because we're commanded to by the New Testament. But equally, as well as giving to the poor, the New Testament church gave to support ministers of the gospel. We read in 1 Corinthians 9.14, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be considered of double honour, sorry, considered worthy of double honour. That's honour meaning money especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And 1 Corinthians 9.11 says, if we've sown spiritual seed amongst you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? So for, we give for the poor and the needy. You know, we did this, didn't we? We saw this just last month when there was a family in need and, and the church blessed them, even though they weren't of this household, they weren't in this church you guys gave generously, whether that was giving items to support that family that had just arrived or whether it was money. We blessed them financially. We continue to look for opportunities to bless the poor. And equally in your giving, you're able to support the ministry. You support my work, which is sowing into the teaching and the preaching that this church receives. And although as a minister, I can forgo that at any point, I can decide not to take a salary. I can decide to uh, go and make tents, so to speak. I can do that. I'm free to do that. Um, it isn't wrong for a pastor to be supported upon the giving of the church. We don't have a huge war chest of finances to support this ministry. It all comes from generous giving. And we're content with that. I'm happy with that. Um, I'm not looking to be a megastar with a 4 by 4 But I do believe that the ministry of the church is supported by the giving of the church. And that's right and proper. So we give in the church to support the poor, meet the needs of the poor, and then secondly, to support the work of the ministry. And finally, as we, we come to consider the practical outworkings of this, we've got to remember that when we give, when we give, God makes sure that we're not going to end up in lack. Generosity in the world, when we look at economics, if you've got if you've got two pounds and you give away one, you've got one pound. It's simple economics. You give away and you have less. However, in the Bible, what we see is that when we lend to the poor, God will repay him for his deed. When we give to God, he will pour out blessings into our life. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So for a moment right now, I want for us to just go home this week, in fact, not now, but later this week, and I want for us to take a look at our giving in light of what the scriptures say. Are we being generous? What would generosity look like for us? Are we giving cheerfully? Is it something that we are looking to grow in as Christians? Whatever we purpose to give this year, we can be assured that God, the great giver, the one who gave his only son for our sakes that we might be saved, the greatest giver, he's not going to let you fall into poverty on account of generosity.
And what I love also is that even when we do give, even when we become like these Macedonian believers who are an example of good giving to the Corinthians, even then, the glory goes to God. The glory goes to God. Paul doesn't say, listen, Corinthians, look at these Macedonian believers. Wow, what incredible hearts they've got. How generous they are. Aren't they amazing? He actually attributes the source of their generosity to God. Giving is a grace of God that we grow in. It's God at work in our hearts. And when we give, and we give generously, we're not to advertise our kindness like the world does. It's one of those horrible things, isn't it, where you see someone on Instagram and they're taking a picture of themselves with a beggar and they've given them some food. Why are you advertising your generosity? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You know, we, we give in secret, but we do so because God has worked in us. He's transformed our hearts, and it's from that outflow that we give. So that's all I'm going to say today. It's our one message on finances this year. But I hope that's framed the subject for you neatly. Um, it's not comprehensive, but hopefully it's given you a taster of what the Bible has to say about our finances and about giving. And I'm going to leave it there. There's nothing more to say. It's for you to go and speak to about God. Sorry, speak to God about uh, this week and decide in your hearts how you'd like to respond to that. Let's, let's pray and then we're going to have some teas and coffees together because I've gone on a little bit and I don't want to keep you here any longer. So uh, let's stand, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for this teaching that you've given us. That you're not absent in this area of finance. It's not just been handed to us and given to us to do as we please with, but rather, Lord, you intend for us to have a stewardship over our money. And God, you want for us to use it, yes, to enjoy life and to bless others around us, to, to bless our family, to save it, Lord God. Yes, absolutely, but equally, not to hold on to it and build up treasures for ourselves here on earth, but to glorify you in generous giving. And might we all, Lord, this year, learn what that means, even in these difficult times, Lord, when money seems to be scarcer. Lord, we pray that you might teach us how generosity looks in this season for us. And God, we pray also that in this run-up to Easter now, as we begin our walk towards Easter as a church, that we be reminded again that generosity starts and ends with you. There's no better place to look to, to learn about generosity than Christ, God's Son, given to us for the salvation of our sins. And so if you're watching this today, and you've not received God's generous gift to you in Christ, we'd encourage you to read John chapter 3 from 16 through to the end and see that the greatest gift that we could ever receive came from our generous, loving Father in Christ Jesus, his Son. And Lord, we pray now that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us all now and evermore as we leave this place. Amen.